and we're live how are you guys doing today good how are you i'm doing good uh, aside from the fact where i'm like all congested but i'm good <laughs> <laughs> thanks for joining the podcast again thanks um for having me. you were on almost a year ago yeah it was in february and your story was pretty impactful uh what was the response like after people had listened to your episode you know it was crazy because i went back to work um and I don't have a filter. <laughs> like it just doesn't work in me. And so I would um there were a lot of times where I would just feel urged to tell people a little of my story. Um, and I actually was able to share my podcast with so many people that way. One of our contractor sons, a heroin addict, and he doesn't even know where he's at. You know, so like my story gives him hope. Um, one of our customers watched my podcast, heard me talk about Haven House and wrote them a check Wow! as a donation. Wow. Yeah. I just did, um, an interview that'll air January 19th, um, about Haven House and all that they offer and how much they changed our lives. Well, so, what, um, where was the interview done through? Who was it? Box 47. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. That's very cool. And can you uh, explain real quick what the Haven House is and sure. what they do? So Haven House is a um, family shelter. They have, you can bring your kids. Um, they help you with transportation needs. How They give you skills. Find an apartment on your own. Get a job. They, get, they they help you get those things, but you have to do the work. And then once you get into a place that, you know, your own place, they have a program afterwards called Partners in Progress, and they follow you for a whole year. Household cleaning supplies, toiletries, um, they do Christmas gifts at Christmas time. Um, she was going to the charter school at the time. And they got her all uniforms. Cool. Like it was just, they do amazing work there. And they are so very, very worthy of everything that they get. Um, in February, there'll be a, um, called Pancake Palooza. And it's their fundraiser of the year. Very cool. Maybe I should reach out to them. Oh yeah. They're amazing. On. Now, this is a daughter's perspective podcast. Yes. I've never done something like this. So this will be interesting for me as well. But um, Grace, uh, you did you listen to your mom's episode? I personally haven't yet. I try not to listen to um, like when she does things like this. I try not to listen to them because there's a lot that happened in that time that I don't know about. And there's a reason I don't know about it. And um, so, no, I, I haven't. So. I guess let's kind of like share share your what your perspective of the things that your mom had gone through and, and you had gone through as well and like what kind of impact that's had on on your life. So when I guess like the first time that I remember like actually coming to like like in my mind I knew something was wrong. I was about I want to say 6 7 years old. Um and I believe at this time, my mom had overdosed in our house and my, my older sister, she's 10 years older than me, should have been like 15, 16 at the time, um, had actually found her and saved her life. Um, I, of course, did not know any of that. I just knew that my mom was being taken out of my house in an ambulance and that this wasn't the first time that I had seen her sick, like all the time. Um, after like realizing that there's an issue and it seems to be a big one as like a small child i could never i i felt like i lost like that peace that that children are born with you know what i mean mm, like, like the like, innocence right yeah. yes i felt scared all the time i never i didn't trust anybody anymore and i was alone most of the time at the time my dad was working two jobs because he had to and my sister Honestly, being her age now, I can't imagine, I cannot imagine how she was feeling. So, of course, I mean, she wasn't home very often. And even when she was, she wasn't in the state of mind to be 
exactly helpful. Yeah, I could imagine that that would be extremely difficult to to witness. Um, I just want to say you're okay. Uh, like you're, I, I noticed you're getting a little nervous. You're you're, you're all right. Um, and uh, but you're you're obviously able to talk about it with strength, which is incredible. The way I see it is if. I had to feel that pain to become who I am today. And if I can share my story and share how I felt and how I got through it and help somebody else who might be going through the same thing, I'm putting good into the world with the bad that the world gave me. Yeah, absolutely. You always use your the things that you had gone through as a way to inspire and um, motivate other people. Uh, that was the whole point of me wanting to start this podcast was to use my story to help you know elevate other people's stories. So that I kicked off the podcast by telling my story and then it allowed me to have other people on to have the same experience, which is incredible. I think this right here is really important. I feel like the like the inside, like the minds and the hearts of people like drug addicts and homeless people and people like even criminals, people like that who get a bad rep. I feel like it's really important to know that not all of them are the same and not all of them are as made out as they are to be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you you are not your mistakes. And I, I say that often because you can quickly change very quickly with just a simple decision that I'm not going to do that thing anymore or I don't want to be that anymore. Right. So, I'm, I'm trying to, um, somebody said this in my presence and it was just a couple of weeks ago and... I don't know who said it. I don't know where it came from, but I'm trying to get her to understand that you're going to never succeed in life if you don't first learn how to fail. And so I've been watching this beauty emerge that, that, okay, I made a mistake or, oh, I did this wrong. Okay. I'm going to try it this way. Mm. Yeah, that's an important thing. Like once you learn how to not do it, it's not necessarily failure. It's just a, a learning experience. It's a learning curve. It's honestly just the way you're you think about it and look at the situation. Because like you could decide to fail or not decide to fail, but you could fail and then decide that from that point on that I'm I'm not going to do this anymore. I didn't like the way that felt, and I just give up. That's failure. Failure is when yeah. you give up and you choose to not work on it anymore. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think learning from your mistakes is more important than being upset about your mistakes. Um, like, it's really easy to get caught up under, I did this wrong, like, I can never get out from under it. This is always going to be how it is. Um, but I'm learning now that when I do make these mistakes, if I can learn from them, then it wasn't a mistake. It was meant to happen. And I think that's really like once you get like the grasp of that, life is just so much easier. Especially when you've gone through tough situations, it it creates it it it, it makes you stronger as a person, and you kind of learn from other people's mistakes that I don't want to go down this road. I don't want to do this. I don't want I don't want my life to be like that. Is that something that you you've kind of developed with seeing your mom go through yes. this recovering journey? One hundred percent. Um. So. Of course, obviously, you're told when you're growing up, drugs are bad. Don't do them. <laughs> drugs are bad. Don't do them. But I feel like I never realized how crippling, like, actually bad they are until I actually saw firsthand what they do to not only the people that are taking them, but the people around them. And so definitely now, like, if I'm out with my friends, like, yeah, I still go out with my friends. Yeah, I still go do things that teenagers do. But if I'm offered, like, an edible or like a blunt or something like that or a bottle i'm gonna say no i'm not gonna not be friends with those people anymore but i personally am gonna say no because i'm not gonna find i'm not gonna mess around and find out what that <laughs> has to do with me yeah, yeah i think it, especially for young people it's so interesting because uh, i was there at one point where i i'd moved out um at 17 and i hung around people that were drinking and smoking weed and i partook i'm like I knew that it was wrong. I knew I shouldn't have been doing it at the time because I had other things like I was still in school. I should have been focusing on the things that I should have been focusing on. But instead, I decided that, no, why not? And then I started going down this path. I, I, I would do it every day. 
And then I realized very quickly that I don't like the people I'm hanging around and I don't like this path that I'm going down because I knew that it was a path of, I knew that if I went down this path, I was not going to be successful in life. It was hindering me from, I mean, I was skipping school because of it. Like it, I knew that it wasn't a good path. So then I just decided in that moment that I'm not doing this anymore. And in that moment, it actually ended a lot of my friendships. They started wondering where, where, where are you at? Why aren't you hanging out with us? What you're too good for us? Those kind of things. It's I, unfortunate. Those weren't really your friends. No, they they weren't. Yeah. They, they're not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and and what's interesting about that too is um, a couple of them are dead. Oh, yeah. I I have friends. Um, Christina. I will never forget the day that I found out that she had passed. She was a peer recovery coach doing great. And it really affected me. Um, she was just beautiful. She was just a sparkling person. And I never want her to ever have to feel what I felt just losing a friend. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want her to ever lose me now that we're back to this beautiful relationship we have with each other like i can tell her anything and she doesn't judge me she still loves me and she's my biggest cheerleader i really don't know where i would be without her i miss her sister someday hopefully that relationship will be restored, not just with me or not just for me, but for her and for her sister. She's missing a lot. Yeah, I could imagine that. Um, I mean, I, that's personal, but like, is it is it because of the, the whole past and everything? Yeah. yeah. What made you not want to hate your mom and, and what made you want to uh, stick by her side during I, all this? I did hate my mom for a long time. I or I thought I did. I I did feel a lot of animosity in my heart towards her and I I didn't talk to her for the longest time. I was I was only with my dad. I was by my dad's side. I didn't like her because this this and this. I didn't like her cuz she what she did to me. I didn't like I don't like her cuz she what what she did to my sister. I don't like her because she, what she did to my dad. But I was really young. And I'm still really young. And so growing up a f like a year without my mom, I realized like, I need her, <laughs> like I need help. My dad was not equipped to raise girls, mm -hmm. at least not by himself. Um, and I was living in with my father and his parents. And that was, that itself was a really horrible situation for me. Um, I th I'm thankful that they took us in and whatever, but, um, there were just a lot of things that happened there that I'll never be okay with. And I felt like that stunted me a lot emotionally, just mentally, you know, I, I just don't feel, I never felt like I was ready for the world. And so once I realized that my problem was I don't have my mom and I need guidance, the people in my life are not guiding me, I realized I had to let go of that bitterness in my heart and that I had to, I had to learn to forgive my mom. And realize that she's a human too, and that this is the first time that she's living life as well. Um, what did that look like when when you decided to forgive her? Um, I I gave her a call one day. I said, "Dad, I want to call my mom." He said, "Okay," and I called my mom, and she was so excited when I called her, like actually excited, and. I felt better. I felt better after I talked to my mom. And was it a long journey? Did a lot of the feelings that I had pushed down come up out at her, out into the world? Yes, it did. Was it nasty and would I never want to do it again? Yeah. But would I do it again? A hundred percent. It's, I think it's one of the hardest things I've ever gone through was learning to forgive those who have done you wrong so hard so hard that's uh that's a, such a beautiful thing that you're able to forgive your mom um 
that's one thing some a lot of people had told me uh, with my past. Like, how could you forgive? How could you just be okay with it? How could you have relationships with those kind of people? And the thing is, like, what they don't realize is that by holding on to that bitterness, it actually stunts your growth as a person. You cannot be successful in life if you have all these grudges and this bitterness and this angst against other people. Forgive, yeah. Forgiveness isn't for yourself or for others. It's for yourself. That's how you move forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's how a lot of people get involved in drugs and alcohol because they can't forgive. And then they blame their parents. Yep. Or they blame a certain person or a situation as to why they're this way. So the fact that you were able to do that shows how strong you are at a, such a very young age. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I don't like remember finding my strength. Like I don't remember like, oh, one day I like, yeah, I'm strong now. Like, no, it comes from falling down and, and just breaking over and over again and having no choice but to like build yourself back up. And I feel like I spent too much time avoiding the effort that it took to build myself back up. And it took me forever to get myself to where I am today. If you would have met me like three, four years ago, you, you would not, I'm, we're not the same person <laughs> anymore. Um, so it's really just, it's more about the journey than it is the destination. Absolutely. Yeah, we always have this uh, defined idea of what where we want to be, but then we don't enjoy the process of getting there. And then it's the process that made you right. to get to that point. But you're never truly at that point. Yeah. And if you ever get to that point, you should probably set a new goal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <making sure. laughs> what now? All right. So you you guys were homeless at a certain point. Um what what was that like were you homeless as a child like with your mom or no no, no. Well, so yeah but well yeah so when i was like um before like <clears throat> growing up we were always stable but about after my parents got divorced and after my mom's last overdose and all of that it put us in a really rocky position first of all my mom had been married for about like what 23 years and she had always been the home the, the homemaker. She always, you know, cooking and cleaning. Like that, that's what she in, in raising kids, that's what she did. So, really poorly. <laughs> <laughs> so she was put into this position where she's she hasn't had a job in at least 20 years. She's not had to worry about like all the stuff that you have to worry about as an adult. And I am sitting here watching her go through it and I'm sort of being dragged through it with her because um, at the time my dad and still I don't really communicate with him um, and he doesn't really communicate with me. So it was just her and I against everything else. That's what it felt like, you know, like Kim Possible, you know <laughs> what I mean? Um, that was the beginning of eighth grade for me. Um, so about two years ago and we were staying in a homeless shelter called Haven House um at the shelter we had our own room that we shared and then you know the communal bathrooms communal kitchen all that um we were also it was also kind of like living out of our car because we had all our stuff in our van we, um i uh i can resonate with this so much like as you're telling me it, it sounds like you're telling me my story <laughs> because um i had lived in a, a homeless shelter as well with my mom and my other siblings and same scenario where we had our belongings in our vehicle. And uh, yeah, so I, I, I completely resonate with you. It was difficult. I mean, um, going to school, obviously can't have friends over. Um, nobody knew in school. Obviously, like, was it something that, you were ashamed of? Oh, yeah. I felt very ashamed. I, I've, I had never experienced. I, I felt so guarded when I was younger, like growing up, now I look back, I feel so like I was very protected by my parents in terms of what I was exposed to. Um, so I didn't, I never thought that it'd be a possibility that I'd be homeless. I never thought that my mom would be doing drugs or we'd be without my father. I never thought that I wouldn't have a big happy family that I grew up with. Um, so that, it was really difficult as anybody can imagine. I mean, it's not as bad as you probably do imagine, because I imagine some pretty horrible stuff, but it shaped me a little bit. I'm more conscious about 
money and about how grateful I am and how I treat my things and stuff like that. You have a greater appreciation for the things that you have because you didn't have any. That was uh, one of the most like significant things that could happen to me when I was younger is being in that position where I seen my mom struggle and I seen her not be able to provide for us kids. And I always knew that I didn't want that for myself or my, my kids. Mm-hmm. And like when my mom lost us in foster care, she was 28 years old. I'm 30 now. But like, I remember thinking when I was 28 years old, like, wow, my mom was my age when she lost us. Like, this is insane. And you had kids. And I had kids. Yeah. That's sort of how I feel now about like resentment. It's really easy to resent the other people in your life when one of the main people in your life is doing wrong. If that makes sense, like how my mom was was messing up. Everybody else in my life, there was stuff that needed to be done. There were things that needed to be taken care of. I needed to be taken care of. But because of the hurt that they're feeling from other people, I'm not getting that from them, right? So now that I'm grown up, I sort of feel like a lot of anger towards the people that were in. Because in a way, a lot of them failed me. And so growing, like growing up, like I was told that my mom was a horrible person, like she's this, that, and the third. She's, I was just told these horrible, horrible things, things you could never imagine about your mother from like your grandparents and your aunts and uncles and your just people in your life that should never be talking about your parents that way to a minor. And learning to love my mom from that was super difficult. Um, but I feel like that's something that a lot of kids like me go through. When she first came back, um, it was just for a couple of days initially. And then it was a little longer and a little longer. And she was very resistant to caring about me. She did not want to love me. She did not want anything at all positive to be because it felt like it was a uh, fake or a facade. Um, and she pushed hard. There were times when I was like, I'm going back to jail today. I just know it. <laughs> <laughs> and I hadn't even been there yet. <laughs> and so like, it was, I don't know where I'm now. Anyways, but it was, it was hard to keep myself. I had enough recovery time. I think it was about, about a year clean Mm -hmm. maybe a little bit more and and i had enough programming that i did i could stay calm and i could stay focused on what was really happening do you feel like having her back in your life also helped with that process oh yes staying clean and wanting to succeed at that point yeah my rock bottom was the day her dad took her away from me i haven't touched anything since I can't. I I already lost my other daughter. I I'm not giving this one up. I'll fight you for it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we have some comments. Somebody said, "So proud of you, Lori." Um, great podcast, Dave. Sorry, I'm late. Is this for what? <laughs> okay, I'm not putting that one up. <laughs> that has to be one of your friends. <laughs> I have no idea who that is. <laughs> We're going to Facebook stock now. Yeah. I I mean, this brings me back to the whole bitterness thing and like trying, wanting to succeed and move forward. Like as a young person, it's so important to do because then like now you're setting yourself up for success in the future. You're setting yourself up for being able to, I mean, it's like a mental strength and fortitude to be able to forgive people. Personally, Forgiving people for me, I've made it seem in my brain as a way to, I've I've told myself over and over again that this is not for them, this is for me. It's almost like a reward to me, forgiving people. It's, I, I've made it almost like getting a little treat. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, it's, it's just to know that I they can never say that I'm bitter, I won't forgive them, I won't talk to them, I won't do this, and that it's them driving the wedge between us. 
it's just that feels like a reward to me. Well, and it's also when you when you give when you're not willing to forgive somebody and you hold resentment, you hold um, a grudge against them, you're giving them power. You're right, and you're you're hurting yourself. Right. And and I also think it's really rewarding to be able to say I have this door open for this person, and to be able to know that when they when it's time for them that and then that I control when this door is open. You know what I mean? I can forgive you and open the door, but I can still close it. And I think that was really hard for me to learn too, because I always thought like these, like, especially with adults, I always thought like, I I have to forgive this person. I cannot ever bring it up again. But my mom actually taught me like, you have a problem with me and you can bring it up to me and I, we can fix this. And I always thought that it was just better to just keep it to myself, which it isn't. (laughs) It isn't. (laughs) Yeah. It's always better to communicate. And work out the issue that that thing they say about pushing stuff down and it coming back up is 100 percent true it, it does come up and it comes up way worse than it felt going down how did you learn this stuff did you go to therapy like how did you work through these issues did you just like- i have been to therapy i've never stuck with a therapist i personally don't um it's just not for me or at least i haven't found a therapist that is for me um, I learned a lot of this from AA meetings, actually. I um, go a lot with my mom to her. I used to. I don't so much anymore, but I used to go a lot with my mom to her AA meetings and listening to, like, the serenity prayer and listening to, like, the the steps and um, people, other people share their stories. I've learned a lot of this. Are you cold? Yes. You're cold. Your coat's right here. <laughs> She's like Sorry. shivering. I can I can turn the heat up a little no, bit. It's okay. It's okay. Um, I'm okay. That's one thing that I find extremely powerful is listening to other people share their stories because then like you're kind of getting an education about the things that they've been through and what not to do and like oh like I never thought that that could possibly be a trigger for that person or a trigger for right. you know like so many things. You can, t- I take those situations that other people have been in and I apply them to the situations that I face in life. So like, um, there's, there is somebody that I met actually through recovery and through AA meetings, his name is Carlos and he is like an older brother to me and he taught me so much. He's taught me so much, but one thing that he has taught me and I'll never forget is that you don't have to like somebody. But if you respect them, they'll respect you. And so, and I feel like that fits in to like what recovery almost is all about in a way. And you have to hear me out a little bit. (laughs) If you respect your recovery and you treat it like it's listening for my mom. I'm not an addict, so I'm not trying to speak for, for addicts or anything like that. But my mom says that if you feed your recovery and you you starve your addiction like that i don't know i just feel like it's really powerful if you nurture the things that you should be nurturing and you actively try to avoid and do the things that give you a positive like positively reinforce the things that make you stronger as a person then you're more than likely well for one it'll make you a strong it make it makes your mind stronger makes you not want to give into those things as much like for instance, I've had this conversation with um, my friend Ron. He's been on the podcast a few times, and uh, one of the things that he has told me several several times because he's he's a recovering alcoholic. Um, when he's doing when he's going to like his therapy, uh, intensive care therapy, and then when he's doing the things that he should be doing in therapy, working out, eating healthy, doing all the right things, going to church, reading his Bible, all those things then he feels strong mentally. He's doing the things that he should be doing, the things that he knows makes him stronger as a person. He doesn't relapse during that time. But when he starts slacking off and stops doing, maybe he'll start with one thing, stop eating healthy. Then he'll start or stop working out and then he'll start doing something else instead of the things that he should be doing. Then that's when you're kind of slowly going down this path again. Yeah. Um that's a lot like uh, when you when you do good, you feel good. Yeah. And I feel like that that's one of the like one of the most important things to learn. And I feel like it's said a lot, and I've never listened to it until like I realized like they're right. <laughs> when you do good, you feel good, and it's like 
sure, it's fun. it can be fun to go out and party and drink and all that. But when it gets to be a problem, it's no fun anymore. Mm. When like you know what I mean, like when you can't go a day without it, like like I've dealt with this because I mean, I don't know if if I mean you probably do. Addiction is actually like genetics. It can be like like yes, yeah. So I do have addictive tendencies, and I have noticed them, and I've had like. I do like, um, I really like to read. So you, you'll say, oh, reading is so good for you. Not when you do it 24 hours a day and you <laughs> ignore everybody in your life and you, yeah. you don't eat because you're reading. You don't go to the bathroom because you're eating. You. It's good to do until it starts negatively and impacting your life. Too much of a good thing is a bad thing. Right. I, uh, I also have an addictive personality too. I'm not addicted to like substances like like alcohol mm. or I, I, I went a whole year without drinking alcohol just because I was training for an ultra marathon. Um, I can just choose to not do that. I don't, I don't do any drugs or anything like that, but I'm addicted to caffeine. Mm -hmm. And that's a substance. Sugar. I'm not really addicted to sugar. Yeah, Actually, I do get, I do sugar. get a sh addicted to sugar if I eat a lot of it, but, but yeah, caffeine is a huge thing for me. And then I, I realize I know it is, but I, I'm okay with it. <laughs> yeah, some of our addictions are acceptable to society. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Caffeine's for sure a drug. Yeah. Nicotine and, and caffeine and even dopamine, you know, just trying to. Try to feed. Adrenaline. Yeah. yeah. Adrenaline. Yeah. A lot. What is your opinion of people who are addicts? My opinion like on addicts themselves addicts, who are an active addiction anybody anybody who yeah let's say active addiction what is your opinion of those people my opinion on those people um that i hope they find some help that i hope that they want that there comes a time in their life that they say that they want help and they're ready to change i don't think that they're any different than you or i i think that they're just a little lost they're just going through something just like everybody else. Theirs is just a little different. I don't. I think, <clears throat> sorry, my voice. I think addicts get a bad rap. Um, that, you know, they're, they're people that just can't be helped. They're people that society kind of just deems as like, no. And, it, and maybe it's because of like the typical addict abuses the relationships mm -hmm. that they're they're involved that they have they abuse the people that are in their lives and so they tend to get a bad rap but when somebody's in active addiction do you think that anybody could help them yeah there's i think that the only person that can help them is themselves actually let me take that back i think the only person that, that can help them is themselves I don't think there is anybody else that can help them. I personally believe that you have to want to help yourself. Nobody else is going to want it as bad as you are. And nobody else is going to fight for it the way that you should. My my friend Ron, he he's told me several times that um, a judge couldn't order him sober if he wanted at a certain point in his life. Yeah. And, Rock bottom's different for everyone. It really is. The thing that, you know, being an addict, um, whether in recovery or active addiction, one, we're hiding from something. There is something going on that we don't know how to deal with, and so we mask it. The second thing is, is that people loved me back. We all need somebody that will be on our side. It's, it's Yes, it is something that only I could do for myself. But there are times when I'm not enough for me and I have to reach out or talk to somebody because in here, like this is the most dangerous place on earth for me because I get in my mind and, and I, well, nobody loves me because I did this and I did that and I did this. And her coming back that first year and a half was hideously hard for me. I did, I did multiple meetings a day to be able to live. Because without her and her dad, I had already lost her sister. That 
was not an option for me anymore. I, I had to do something to get it back. I'm not a superhero. I, there's nothing innately different about me or how I'm made up. Anybody can get clean. Anybody. It's not magic, but it's a whole hell of a lot of work. <laughs> and I can tell you right now that it's absolutely 100% worth everything. Have you had any uh, cravings or desires to relapse yeah. since? Oh, yeah. What are those like? Because, like, I, I hate to keep bringing up my friend Ron, but, like, <laughs> he, he tells me, like, oftentimes when he goes to the grocery store, he'll get a craving, and then he has to stay on one side of the store before the, or mm -hmm. while it, until it passes. passes. So with heroin, <clears throat> I snorted heroin. So just kind of weird because I'm a phlebotomist. <laughs> so, but I never shot up. Thank God. I would be dead, dead. Um, for me, I can smell it on people in the store. I can walk past somebody who's just done a hit. And I can smell it on them. Of heroin? Yeah. Whoa. It makes my stomach turn. It makes my mouth start watering. It makes my palms sweat. Like I full on have a visceral reaction to it. Even after five years, three months, and 15 days. Whoa. Nobody's counting. No. For her. So, I mean, like, the cravings... can't say they never go away because i don't i never ever ever crave going back your body when you're on heroin if you and i were in a desert and we'd gone weeks with no water no nothing and we see a pool and next to it is heroin my body believes that i need heroin more than water Whoa. I mean, if you really let that sink in, that's why the obsession is so crippling. Isn't it heroin where you shoot up or you, you take in, you get this like, like amazing high the first time, but then first after time. that, you're just chasing it and you can never achieve that again? Never. Even I can remember like it was yesterday. No, I can remember better than it was yesterday. <laughs> the first time I did heroin. I didn't know what it was. It was given to me to take care of a headache and that's a whole nother wrap. Um, but it was the, it was the best hug from the fattest grandma that smelled so wonderful and warm. It was amazing. Like, have you ever had surgery? Mm, no, no, unfortunate <laughs> guy. Um, they give you a medication that just kind of like whoosh, takes everything. And, and I had a wisdom tooth pulled. Yeah, not the same thing. <laughs> but that's what it's like. But even now, if I started using again today, I would never get that same feeling. Just never happens. It's crazy. So what do you, what kind of things do you do to avoid those? Like if you get a craving, like what do you, what, do you have to occupy your mind? Like what do you oh, do? Yeah. Yep. I change my thought pattern immediately once I recognize it. I change my location where I'm at immediately and I call somebody. So is it something to do with the location that maybe sparks it? At times. Yeah. For me, it's very um, scent. Like I'm a very, I have really crazy olfactory. And so for me, it's a smell, you know, something that, or we would eat the same things every single day because they were super cheap. So a uh, sandwich from Burger King, I almost can't eat now because I ate, that's what I had when I was getting high. And that still affects me. Like it still comes to my mind every time I just smell it. And so there are things that I can't eat and things I can't drink and because it takes me right there. Wow. Wow. That's crazy is it's a fight every day you have to be ready to fight every day do you have a do you do you do any work or anything with people who are in recovery i don't personally i mean sometimes like her meet like uh the meetings that she goes to they'll ask for me to come um 
speak at a meeting. Um, but other than that, I don't, I'm not. What kind of things do you speak about? This. Your story. My story. I, I talk about um, the time I found my mom. I talk about how I rebuilt my relationship with my mom. I talk about um, all that stuff. Now, for I mean, there's a lot of people out there in the world that have never forgiven their parents or anything like that. What would you say to them? Because you talk about forgiving, jeez, you talk about forgiving your your mom. Well, my sister doesn't forgive my mom, and she hasn't for a very I think before I was even born. Um, do you think it's justified? I do, honestly. I do think. I personally don't know what happened. To make her feel that way originally I, I wasn't a part of that but I do know that nobody feels that way for no reason but I would tell those people sometimes most times forgiving is not for you or it's not for them it's for you so that like if if you think if if you're waking up every day and you're thinking about how much you don't like your parents or you don't like anybody if you're waking up every day and you're giving that person the time of day, then honestly, at that point, it's just hurting you. You're just bitter. And I bet you it's bleeding into your other parts of your life as well. Mm. And it, it can really make you just an unlikable person. And it can really just destroy you in almost every aspect. I, I really think you should look into forgiving, personally. <laughs> Highly recommend it. <laughs> What is the most important or impactful thing you've taken from your mom's or from your guys's journey together? It's never too late to try again. It is in most, if not all cases, it is never too late to try again. Like in life, if I fail something, if I, if I fail a class, it's never too late to retake it. I don't care. I don't care if I don't graduate until I'm 25. I will have all my credits. I will. I like, I, I've seen her get up and just get right back on the horse so many times. How could I not? It's the only, it's the biggest thing. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. That's a, that's a strong mind there. That's a, a, a personality of not giving up and not giving up is one of the most important things in life because I mean, we talked about at the beginning, once you give up, then that's failure and nobody likes, yeah. nobody likes to fail. She's one of the strongest people I know. She is. She literally found me overdosed in the kitchen. Saved my life. What was that like? I mean, I can tell the story if that's... Yeah. Um, I was 10, 9, actually. No, 10. 10. I was 10 years old, about to turn 11 in a few months. It was... We were living in a, in a very old house in Corona. And across the street from the house was a convenience store. I need to know that for later. So, sorry. You're, you're good. Um, so one day, my dad wasn't home. He was gone to work. And he worked really far away. He worked in Auburn Hills, which if you're not from Michigan, you're not from that area. That's like an hour and a half, two-hour drive, I want to say. I don't know. It's It was long. I know that. And um, it was like early morning, early afternoon, kind of towards the evening-ish, you know, what I mean. Um, and I remember I heard, I was upstairs and I heard this thud. And my, I knew my mom was downstairs doing dishes. So I'm like, okay, I'll just go see what that was. Like maybe someone's here. So I went, I remember I went down the stairs and as I'm walking down the stairs, I can hear the sink running. And I thought that was weird because like she's doing the dishes actively. They're supposed to be soaking. Um, so... I don't know, I just didn't think anything of it until I walked into the kitchen and she's on the floor. There's a cup um, that was like filled with water. It's all over the floor. Um, and her lips are purple and her eyes are rolled back. Oh. And I'm I'm scared. I'm 10. I did not know what was going on. I did at, at this point in time, I still had not been told like my mom's a drug addict. Nobody had sat me down and said, hey, like nobody. So I didn't know. And I I didn't have anything on. I had a short a t-shirt and some underwear and I just booked it. I went out the door and I ran across the street to that convenience store and I ran inside. There was a big, huge line across the register. Sorry, trying to yell. It's a big old line across the to the register. And I'm one of those people I don't like to be an inconvenience. 
So I was really like, I remember I stood there for two seconds and I remembered when my sister had found her, when she had her stroke, I remember the, like the only thing they said was if Gabby had would have wait, waited a few minutes to call the police, my mom would be dead. So I didn't wait in line. Obviously, I screamed. I said, my mom is dead on the floor in my kitchen. I need somebody to call 911. I live right across the street. I was yelling my address. I just said it over and over again. They're all just looking at me, staring at me until this man, he like snaps out of it and he came, ran up to me and he said, take me to her. Come on, let's go. So we go back across the street and we come into this house and he's yelling her name, saying, Laura, get up, Laura, come on, get up. He's, they're calling 911 across the street. And I remember like just staring at my mom, like, what is going on? Like, I, I just remember, like, I had seen it happen before. I had seen her overdose, but I wasn't alone and I was not allowed in the room. So, I mean, I'd seen her initially fall over, but I had never seen her like this, like just, you know on the floor like that. And um, I called, I was trying to, the manager actually of the store came and they came inside and she was a really sweet lady. She came up to me and she was, she was like, where's your dad? Like who else lives here? Like she, I was so shaky and I, I didn't know what to do. I said, I started spewing my dad's phone number. I said, you need to call him. Like he needs to be here. She calls him. He's not answering. Obviously he's at work. It's a number he doesn't know. I called him about five or six times before he answered. He answers, and I said, Dad, the EMS is here, and they're taking Mom. I said she passed out. Like, I ran across the street. I didn't know what to do. And I have never heard, like, been more. He, I remember he sighed. He said, just like that. And that shook me. When my dad sighed like that, like it was almost like not like he didn't care, but it's like, here we go again. Like that shook me. I like I started sweating. I got scared. I remember that so well. And then the EMS actually came in there. They got my mom awake. They gave her some Narcan, you know, doing the things. And she's trying to talk to me. and I was just ignoring her. I couldn't talk to her. They wouldn't let me go with her to the hospital, but they wouldn't let me stay there. So they told they asked. They asked this perfect stranger, mind you, I had never met this woman before in my life to take me home with her. And she did. She took me home with her. She bought me some KFC. And I remember I went and I sat on her couch and I watched, I think it was like Amazing World of Gumball or something like that for a few hours until my dad got there. And after that day, I didn't see my mom for like a year. Like I didn't, I couldn't. And I felt ill, I felt sick every time I thought about my mom. I felt like I was just about to throw up. And all the people in my life did not understand that whatsoever. I grew up, um, actually, both my parents went to Christian college and they're very religious people. I grew up in that in a church. And so this was shocking to me, number one, to begin with, shocking to me. And then, so in this type of church, it was very stereotypical in the sense that nobody's talking about mental health. Nobody's talking about how to cope and how to, so I didn't know what to do. And I, I didn't know what to do for the next three, four years. I still don't know what to do. <laughs> so but what did you do? I got up. That, that day knocked me over. And for the longest time I was on the floor. And one day I decided that I'm not going to suffer anymore because of something. First of all, that happened so many years ago. Second of all, that I've grown, that I have grown from and I'm not realizing it. Like, I didn't realize that I was growing so much for so long. I thought I was just, mis I thought I was just miserable. And then one day I just kind of, I, I felt like, hey, I'm actually pretty okay. Like, I can do this. I, I can do this. Somebody said to me, actually, I don't remember where we were, but we were, I think it was an AA meeting or something. It was, I know it was recovery because this lady came up to me and I, I was actually, I think I had spoke just a very little bit. I don't really remember where we were, but I, I do know that this lady came up to me and she told me I needed to hear that so bad. She said, I was probably going to go home and shoot up and be done. She said, I needed to hear that so bad. And I've never like that. Literally, I just realized like I can do this. If she, if she can come up to me and tell me that I can do this. I think a lot of times with addicts, you don't think about how 
the things that your decisions, how it impacts the people that are with you, the people that you love and care about. How does that make you feel like sitting here, listening to her, tell her perspective of this whole thing? What is that like? Painful. Very painful. It's very, um, it's funny. We were just talking about this at breakfast. Um, my AA group goes to breakfast every morning. Um, and we were just talking about being able to have pride in yourself and be proud of yourself. It's almost a perfect dichotomy. Like half of me is so proud of myself for where I'm at and what I've done. Like crazy. The other half of me remembers that day. And forgiving yourself is a million times harder than forgiving someone else. Because I know what's going on in here. I know what I was thinking. And even though it was five years ago, at times it feels like it was just yesterday. And the, the thing that I need to learn that I was schooled on this morning is that my negative self-talk is doing more damage to me than I, I guess, cause I don't want people to think I'm prideful or arrogant cause I'm not like about, I, about I, what your story. Yeah. You should be proud of that. It's not arrogant to talk about and to be proud of the things that you've achieved over, over the last five years. Yeah. But it's easy to hear somebody else's story where they're so far into their journey and think like, Oh, they think they're better than me because they're farther than me. Yeah. But that's their problem. Because this is the way I look at it. <laughs> We're girls. <laughs> different. Like in my in my opinion, if you're you should be proud of the things that you've achieved in life. And if somebody can't handle hearing it, then maybe they're not proud of the things that they've achieved achieved in life. And that's not on you to worry about. Right. I it's um a lot of it I've realized is my father's voice in my head. Um I just hear all the time, like I love to share my story. I love to bring hope to people because I know me and I know that it's not something magical or, you know, that anybody can do what I'm doing. You just have to make the decision. But sometimes hearing somebody else's story is that one thing that they're like, she exactly. did it. I can do it. Right. But in my head, this voice of my dad saying, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing as an adult. Why is everybody gotta know it mm. well that's an old school mentality it is but i'm old school like i <laughs> i graduated high school before you were born <laughs> we talked about this on yeah. the last episode that's how we started the episode yeah. so it, for me it, that's what is going on in my brain all the time is my dad's voice saying like because i'm super proud my car's paid off i'm almost paid off my student loans i have an amazing job and friends that i care about and i love that love me for real I just got approved to buy a house, like my own house, in my own name. And I'm so excited to share that. And then in the back of my head, it's like that my dad's saying, well, isn't that what you're supposed to do? Mm. Yeah, <laughs> so that's, that, like a, that's that self-doubting mentality. Yeah. And But the thing is, is, you know, I've had so many people tell me, uh, especially when I first started this podcast, because I started by sharing my story. And they, they're like, why would you put that stuff out there? That's personal information. But the thing is, is for one, everybody puts personal information out there now with right. Facebook. Like you upload a picture of your kids, that's personal information. But the thing is, is the stories have been so impactful, not just mine, but everybody's like yours, your story, you're just on YouTube alone. Your last episode had like 360 some views or something like that's a lot of views. That's a lot of people who watched your story. And they more than likely were inspired by it. I hope so. I do. That's a lot. So, you know, you're doing exactly what you should be doing, but you also should be talking about that and creating inspiration and using your story. Because, I mean, at one point you were so, so you hit rock bottom mm -hmm. and you should make it known like what you did in order to get out of there. Because there's a lot of people in that spot right now. Yeah. And I run into it. It's kind of um, ironic you know, running into it at work, you know, like I live my life out loud. Like this person talking to you right now is the same person that you'll talk to if you call Wireworks and need an appointment 
on Wednesday. I don't like, I don't have a facade anymore. Um, I've learned how to tell the truth. I've learned how to accept the truth from other people. That was one of the hardest things for me. Um, as an addict, everything you do is a lie because you're constantly covering everything up. Le te teaching yourself to tell the truth again, especially to yourself. That that was really like it's been a horrible journey for me, like really hard, you know, but it is. I can't say that I regret my journey. Some of my actions. Yeah. Would I change them? Some of them. Most of them. No, I've never been happier in my life. Never. I mean, we're like a, 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 a like we we're we're like a combination of all our decisions, our good, our bad, the ugly, like every decision that we make got us to the point where we're at today. And if you regretted the bad decisions, then that means you regretted some of the lessons that were also learned, learned yeah. from those situations. Whereas like, you know, like I, I don't, I try not to regret anything because even a bad decision that I make, there's a lesson to be learned in it. Like I learned, Oh, I shouldn't do that now right? because <laughs> it didn't work out for me. So uh, there's there's definitely positive in in the negative too. Yeah, and there is like I've learned so much. Um, I'm working like this book is brewing in my head that I learned. Um, you know the storm we had at, at the end of August mm -hmm. that took out power for six days and sometimes longer. Well, I was displaced too for work. We didn't have power at the shop, and I was like. My computer's at my desk. I have a 27-inch screen, curved, whole nine yards, maybe <laughs> bigger, and then two other monitors. And I was working off a laptop Oof. in a, like, office chair that was not my office chair <laughs> in a conference room somewhere. And I had to talk to people all day long who didn't have power. And I learned that I have amazing coping skills. <laughs> and so... This book is brewing and it's um, the title is Things I Learned Living on the Street. Like, I'm okay. Can I use the restroom? Yep, I'm good. Do I have my bed? Yeah. That That is a, an important thing. If you can learn to be happy with just the bare minimum. Yes, the, gratitude. Right. I say, because you know meetings, how bad it can get. Yes. I, I say at my meetings that. I fully 100% believe that a grateful heart never relapses because if you're grateful for what you do have and you can find that positivity, you can transfer it. There were a lot of things that happened when I was on the street. I mean, it was Detroit in the winter and I'm still alive, you know, 2 AM cop and dope on the East side. I don't exactly fit in. I kind of stand out a little bit, but I had no fear because I needed what they had. Well, if I can do that, what should I ever be afraid of now? Right. And I want to teach her that those coping skills, like she can do anything. She's brilliant. She's very well-spoken for her age. She's compassionate. She's smart. She's witty. Like, she got that in spite of me. <laughs> like, <laughs> she just has turned out so great. And, and I'm so thankful for everything that I went through that she's learned from. And I wouldn't change those things. The overdoses, the days in jail. I might have skimped on a couple of those. <laughs> the rest of it, yeah. I own. Well, it seems like she did learn a lot from you um, and she definitely has the mental strength and fortitude to be successful in life. Like you, so. you already know that like I there's giving up's not an option. You've already said that. So, well, we're an hour into this thing. This was a lot of fun. Thanks. Uh, yeah. so there's a comment it says prayers, prayers continued for sobriety. Proud of you ladies. And thank you for sharing. Keep up the good job, Dave, with these podcasts. Awesome. Yeah, I'm glad to uh, be able to host something like this. This is the first. So it was a little like awkward trying to like find our vibe, but this was fun. Thanks for doing it.
course. And uh, what's that? Anytime. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Thank you, ladies. Thanks, yeah. everybody, for watching. See ya. See ya.